listen up, lion's down. Don't get it wrong. Don't grieve like the hopeless. Don't be misinformed. No, we have a hope, a sure hope in death. Now, hope is a word we often use when we are sort of in conversation. I hope the weather's going to be nice next week so I can do some gardening. I hope my children get into the right school. I hope that Leicester City don't get relegated. <laughs> but really, when we use it, we're sort of often expressing some vague, uncertain, wishful thinking. Um, apply that to Leicester City as much as you want. You see, a vague, uncertain hope is nothing that will help us stand in the face of death. What we need is something sure and certain. And that's why Paul writes this passage. You see, he was writing to the Thessalonians, a, a new church. Um, they were in a, a, a sort of powerful Greek city, but it had to leave quite soon. And he was wondering how they were getting on. And all around them, they had this powerful Greek culture that sort of had no hope in death. And really, it's probably like our culture. I mean, if we look at our culture around us, what do we mean by hope? Well, often people, when they look at death, um, they sort of push it away. They think, oh, the, the, you know, there's no such thing as life after death. I'm not going to think about it. Maybe that comes across in sort of a, a baseless bravado, you know, or it comes off in, in a fear of, oh, what do I do? Um, perhaps just ignoring death and sweeping it to the side. But it comes across as, as the hopelessness of the atheist. I think that's, that's one danger that we have in our society, but there's another danger as well when it comes to the hope, particularly with death, is sort of an evasive, generic spirituality. Um, I think, you know, we'll sometimes talk about um, someone looking down on us or, or that there's another star in heaven. Well, what do we really mean by that? This, sort of, this, this vague, general Christianity, maybe, that's, or spirituality that's pushed that way, but it's nothing firm and it's not hope. What we need as Christians is a sure and certain hope. And what we have is a sure and certain hope of Jesus coming. So that's why our title today is Our Sure Hope, Jesus Coming. So let me pray for us as we dig into the passage. God of all hope, we pray that as we hear you speak to us this morning, please fill us with joy and peace in believing. Please help us abound in hope in the face of death. Amen. Well, really today, there's two big points that Paul writes to the Thessalonians. First point is that we are not to grieve as those who have no hope. So that's what he writes at the end of verse 13. He says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. You see, he gives us then three reasons why Christians can have hope in the face of death, why we're not to grieve like the hopeless. So let's have a look at those reasons. Reason number one, in verse 14, Jesus' death and resurrection means believers do not experience true death. Jesus' death and resurrection means that believers do not experience true death. So verse 14 says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. 
Paul starts with Gospel 101, Gospel Fundamentals, Jesus died and rose. These are the facts that we were celebrating last week at Easter, wasn't it? The central facts of Christianity. And what he's saying is that Jesus died. Jesus came and experienced a true physical death. His body and his soul were separated. His body went down into the grave. Jesus, as he died, was sacrificed as our Passover lamb, what we looked at on Good Friday. Jesus, as he died, paid the wages of sin, that is death. Jesus, on the cross, suffered the wrath of God in our place. Jesus died. But Jesus didn't stay dead. Three days later, Jesus rose. And again, this was a physical rising. It was the rising of his body back back up from the grave, of his soul being reunited with his body. And as we saw last Easter Sunday, Jesus is the first fruits. He's the, the, the first fruits um, of the resurrection, the proof that all those who trust in him will be resurrected. He's the great king who conquered death. And his resurrection kickstarts his new creation work. See, our hope is rooted in true facts. Jesus died and rose again. And because Jesus died and rose again, that that changes how believers face death. You see, did you notice that in in the verse, believers fall asleep? It's a a strange term, isn't it? Paul isn't talking about sleep. He's talking about physical death here. He's talking about when Christians die and their bodies go down to the grave. But he's saying that when they die, their souls go to be with the Lord. And and, and the great thing is, he uses the words falling asleep, because when you fall asleep, you're resting from the work you've done that day, and you're looking forward to waking up the next morning. Well, just like that, believers who fall asleep, who pass away, rest from their earthly labors and their battle with sin, and they're looking forward to that future day when they get their new resurrection body. Believers don't experience that that true death, that true spiritual death that Jesus experienced. Believers fall asleep. But not only do believers fall asleep, believers will rise. This will be, again, a physical rising, like the Lord Jesus is. Their souls will be reunited with their bodies. Their bodies will come up from the grave, just like Jesus' resurrection. So will believers' resurrection be? You see, our hope is rooted in the true facts of Easter, in Jesus' death and resurrection, and how that changes believers, that believers now fall asleep and will rise again. So that's reason number one why we're not to grieve as those who have no hope. Because Jesus' death and the resurrection means we don't experience true death. But there's a second reason in the next verse. So reason number two, Jesus' words mean that those who fall asleep in Christ are not worse off. So look at verse 15. For this we declare to you by word from the Lord, that we who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who've fallen asleep. Well, Paul here is addressing a misconception that was clearly spreading among the Thessalonian church. Uh, It was just this conception that somehow believers who die are worse off 
than believers who stay alive. And particularly that, that when Jesus comes back, perhaps believers who have died are somehow going to miss out, or they're going to be second-rate Christians, uh, and, and, you know, Christians who are left alive will, will have preference. Or it's, it's a conception I think we can stray into too. Perhaps that believers who have passed away are forgotten. They've been abandoned. Where are they? We... But Paul actually flips this completely on its head. Do you see how he ends it? He says that we who are left alive when Jesus is coming will not precede those who've fallen asleep. You know, um, Christians who are left alive are not um, ahead of or above Christians who have fallen asleep. God's not forgotten them. In fact, the believers who've fallen asleep, those who've died, will precede believers who are left. And it's because that they have gone to be with the Lord. In a sense, they are, Christians who have died, are better off than Christians who are alive. They are with the Lord. That's the word that, the, the, um, words that Paul uses, isn't it? Now, what does that mean? Well, we who are here, who are alive, have God with us. We have God with us through his Holy Spirit, Right? And that's a, a wonderful and glorious truth. And we know his, his presence with us, his comfort, his teaching us, convicting us of truth, and empowering us to do his work. But believers who die, their souls go to be with the Lord, and they are with the Lord Jesus. They're, the Lord Jesus right now is in heaven with his physical resurrection body, reigning. And believers are, who have died are with him. They've rested from their earthly work. They're no longer experiencing um, that struggle with sin that we have. They experience the Lord in a fuller way. And that's why Christians who die are not forgotten, are not worse off. And I think this is why, do you remember when we looked at Philippians, we saw the verse that Paul said, that to live is Christ, to die is gain? Well, why is death gain? Well, death is gain because it's being with the Lord. And living is serving Christ. Both are good things. There is no such thing as second-class citizens. So that's the second reason that Jesus' words mean that those who fall asleep are not worse off. Well, a third reason for hope in the face of death and why we don't grieve is that Jesus' return means that all believers are reunited with him and with each other forever. So look at verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Well, here is our great reason. The great climax, if you like, of God's work is the coming of the Lord Jesus. Now, the word for coming, Jesus' return, is the word parousia. That has sort of two connotations. It could be the revelation of someone's power by their presence. So if someone very powerful walked into the room right now, stood at the front, and they sort of clicked their fingers and we did what they told them, well, that would be an example of that. But it could also be the official visit of a high rank. 
So if King Charles was to walk in the room now, that would be Perugia. That would be his coming. Well, both are really fit words for when Jesus returns. See, when Jesus returns, he will come in glory and majesty, and all will see his power and his glory and his presence. We will, we will see Jesus, and we will see how wonderful he is. But he's also the official visit of the king of the universe, the Lord of Lords, coming back to his dominion and his great final return. And you see what happens when he returns? There'll be a cry of command. Now, this cry of command is the idea of a, a military commander telling their troops what to do. Or perhaps it's the idea of a, a cox shouting to the rowers. It, it, I don't know if anybody watched the boat race a couple of weeks, weekends ago, but the, the cox is going, stroke, stroke. And all the rowers are listening in time with that perfectly. Well, just like that, our great leader, our great lord, will cry. And there'll be a shout of an angel. There'll be the trumpet of God's presence. Think back to what we saw when we looked at the Feast of Trumpets, that announcing of God's presence with his people. And then what will happen? Well, the dead in Christ will rise up. They, they will get their resurrection bodies. They will... And... Um, so their souls will come back to the Lord, they will get their resurrection bodies, and then believers will be caught up in the air. So as Jesus comes back, he comes back with all Christians who have died, and all Christians who are left alive are raised up to meet him. And I might be being physically raised up in the air. It might be sort of a metaphor for how Christians will then get their new bodies. But all Christians will be caught together. And here's the big point. Did you see the end of verse 17? We will always be with the Lord. You see, death is a great thing that separates. But here is the great climax of God's work, of God's undoing of that, of death, is when all believers are caught up with the Lord for all eternity. Just think of that day for a moment. I, I mean, think, well, think back to lockdown. Um, and we were all stuck inside. Couldn't see anybody. The only thing you could do was sort of see people slightly blurred on Zoom, if your internet was good enough. Or remember looking forward to the day when restrictions would end. And then finally, that, that one day when you were going to go and meet your loved ones, your friends, your family. Um, do you remember that first time that you saw them face to face? You gave them a hug? You sat down and had a meal with them. You laughed and, and joked together. Well, that's what it would be like on this final day. Where, when we finally are reunited with all God's people throughout all eternity. All those who've gone before us and passed away. All those who are left on the earth will all be reunited with the Lord Jesus forever. All believers will always be with the Lord for all eternity. So these are our three reasons. That first of all, that Jesus' death and resurrection means believers don't experience true death. That Jesus' words mean that those who fall asleep in Christ are not worse off. And that Jesus' return means that all believers are reunited with him and each other forever. So what are we to do 
Well, Paul says, verse 18, therefore encourage one another with these words. You see, death is a great reality that is tragic and painful. It separates. It leaves us feeling empty inside. How are Christians going to deal with that? Well, we need to encourage one another with these truths so that we can face death with hope. I think particularly, it teaches us how to face death and grief with hope. You see, how how are Christians to mourn in a God-honoring way? Well, we don't have hopeless grief. We don't grieve hopelessly. Remember, believers with Christ are not forgotten. In fact, believers believers who have died in Christ are not forgotten. They're with the Lord now. And we're looking forward to that great day when we're reunited with them and with the Lord. Well, believers in Christ are looking, who have died are looking forward to that great day when all God's people are reunited. We're looking forward to that day when Jesus comes back so we don't have a hopeless grief. But we also don't have a griefless hope. What do I mean by, by that? Well, I mean, we still, Paul doesn't say, do not grieve. Paul says, do not grieve as those who have no hope. You see, death is still a great enemy. Death is still painful. Uh, Think back to the Lord Jesus. What did Jesus do when he came to Lazarus, his friend's tomb? He wept. Death is the great enemy of God's people. It's not a friend. We are to, to grieve at death. We are to grieve as those who have a great hope in Jesus' coming. But the death is not the end. There will be this great reuniting. We will see the Lord. We will be with the Lord and be with all Christians one day. And as, as one commentator puts it, Christians are to cry tears of grief mingled with hope. And I love that. Even as we cry and mourn, we have a great hope in that day when Jesus comes again with his people. So this teaches us how we can face death and grief with hope, but it also teaches us how we can face trials and temptations in life with this hope. You see, the Thessalonians were this with young church surrounded by this sort of godless Greek society around them. Um, they had lots of pressures on them. Were they going to stand firm in the Lord, or were they going to crumble? Well, Looking forward to Jesus coming and this great hope that we have teaches us um, how we can face these trials and temptations. And Paul had two big concerns, really, for the Thessalonians in his letters. And if you want to look at them more, um, look back to the whole of chapter 4. He really fleshes them out. But his first big concern is that his Christians stand firm in holiness. You see, they were... The Thessalonians were surrounded by this sort of godless, pagan culture full of sexual immorality. Does that sound familiar? And being holy is hard, particularly, as Paul fleshes out, sexual holiness is hard. Um, Whether it's perhaps the, the pain of singleness, the battle with lust, the rejection for upholding biblical teachings... Holiness is tough. 
But looking forward to this great day when Jesus comes again with his people empowers us to live holy lives. Remember that when, when Jesus comes again, we will see all his people perfectly holy all together. We will see the Lord. We will be with him forever. Every moment that we've stood for holiness will be worth it. So do you want to just flip the slide off, guys? Thanks. But secondly, Paul wants the Thessalonians to abound in Christian love. Now, loving the church is hard. I say that because I'm a sinner, and I'm sure loving me is hard at times. It can be really hard coming to church, knowing we've had a long, tough week. We're called to come and serve, get up early, put out the chairs. We're called to forgive someone who said something hurtful to us. We're called to give our hard-earned money sacrificially to the church. That's tough, isn't it? But we have this great hope that empowers us, and particularly that, that hope that all believers are together. We remember that that's the great purpose of God's plan, is to pull all believers together with Jesus at the end. Doesn't that encourage us and empower us to want to love believers now, knowing that that's what we'll be doing for all eternity? You see, this great hope we have in Jesus' return encourages us to, to face death with grief and hope, but also to face trials and temptations in this life with hope. Now, I don't know about you, but I quite enjoy running. I know for some of you that's an abhorrent idea. But running running's really good. It's a great feeling, but it's also really tough. Um, you know, it means going out in the cold and the wet and the dark and putting in mile after mile. It means pushing your body harder to, to run further and faster than you, you think you can do. Um, it means, you know, discipline and early starts and giving up time. Running is hard. But what makes it worth it? Well, it's the hope that one day when we do that event I'm aiming for. Maybe I'll get a new part, fastest run time at Park Run. Maybe I'll finish my first marathon. And as I cross the finish line, I know that all that sweat and all that hard work that I've done will be worth it. Well, it's the same with Christian life, the Christian life, right? It's hard being a Christian now. There are so many trials and, and temptations we face. We can look forward to that great day. So, so just think for a minute as we finish, about what makes it hard to be a Christian. Perhaps it's the pain and grief of bereavement and losing a loved one. Perhaps it's the fear of facing death yourself. Perhaps it's the persecution you're suffering for following Christ. The rejection from people because you uphold biblical values. Perhaps you're going through great suffering with your health, mentally or, or physically, doctors and hospitals appointments and medicines. Perhaps you're struggling to love hurting people. You're struggling to restore broken relationships that have really cut your heart. Perhaps you're facing trials such as money or, or jobs or, or housing or, or all sorts of things at home. Maybe you're, you're feeling really weighed down by the temptations around you. Temptations to give in to sin. It doesn't matter this time. Just please yourself. The pressure to fit in, the pressure not to speak out for the gospel, but to be silent. Maybe you're weighing up the cost of following Christ, of serving the church sacrificially. 
or you're facing doubts. Is, is the Bible really true? Is God really good? Well, so many other things. Well, now, cast your mind forward to that day when Jesus comes back. Cast your, your mind to that day when Jesus returns from the sky in glory and majesty. And with him, all believers throughout all time and all the world come with him. That day when we'll be perfectly reunited with all those believers who have gone before us, who we've been separated from. That day when we will get our new bodies, free from health concerns, free from the temptations to sin. That day when we will see Jesus face to face and all our doubts will be cast away. That day when we'll be in a new creation to perfectly enjoy God, to experience his goodness. And the thought that that will be just a moment in a sea of forever. Brothers and sisters, this is our hope. Jesus coming again with his people. Let's keep casting our hearts on that, whatever we're facing. Let me end with the prayer that Paul ends his letter with. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen.